This week's Game of Thrones rewatch is sponsored by our friends over at True Car. Because if you're looking to buy a car, you're probably familiar with the term like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for, but what does it actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, and dealer price. It's enough to confuse anybody. All you're really looking for is a price that actually means something. That's why there's True Price from True Car. Now you'll know exactly what you'll pay for the car that you want, including the fees and the accessories before you even get to the dealership. And a True Car dealer will show you the true price on a car like the one that you want all from the comfort of home. And how do you know if your True Price is a great price? Because True Car will show you what other people paid for the same car that you want. And your certified dealer knows this, so they set their True Price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, Check out True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. Winter was here and we are just getting started with our rewatch of Game of Thrones Season 5, Episode 7, The Gift. And now, here are the two guys who are really pumped up for Sam and Gilly again. I'm Rob Sestrini here with Josh Wiggler. Oh, my. Uh, actually, I would prefer it if you went by my new name. I am the gift. <laughs> you are the gift. I am the gift. Okay. Good morning, gift. It's the gift. The gift. Yeah, you have to say the full thing. The gift, how I, are you? Why I is that your gift. name? First of this name. I've just I like it. I thought I would take it. I'm sick of Josh Wiggler and I am now the gift. All right. You think it's going to stick? I hope so. Uh, the gift and I are ready. It's like a good rap name. A good like hip hop name. Yeah, I got to I got to look into that. I'm sure somebody else has taken this. Maybe even uh, Young Tyrion. Young Tyrion is also a great name for a rapper. Yeah, he's the, the gift. And then Littlefinger had a gift. So there's a lot of a lot of gifting. Uh, Gilly has a gift for Sam. Yeah, this is an episode of giving. This is an episode of generosity uh, throughout uh, throughout the uh, the events of the gift here. Uh, I enjoyed this one, Rob. How about yourself? Hey, I'm Rob Sestrino, and this weekend I'll be hosting an all-new Saturday Night Live with musical guest The Gift. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the... Who, oh, you're hosting. You're hosting it. Uh, yeah, I would, I would watch that. I think that sounds good. Yeah. Maybe we can get The Gift to, uh, to MC... The Throners uh, for the final season of uh, Game of Thrones. Mayans MC? <laughs> off the rails. Okay, all right. The so first, let's, let's... Uh, first, first track off of the new record <laughs> right. by The Gift. Let's get into this. Uh, season 5, Episode 7. Uh, talking about The Gift. And uh, basically a lot of stuff uh, here in this episode. Uh, we're going to see some uh, good stuff with John leaving Castle Black. And uh, what goes wrong for Sam and Gilly. And what goes right after uh, John leaves them alone. And then we're going to also see uh, Lady Olena trying to uh, clean up this mess that uh, Cersei made. And then ultimately this all backfiring on uh, Cersei in spectacular fashion. Uh, and, uh, you know, some stuff going on in Essos. Some stuff going on in Essos. Uh, we're taking a break from the House of Black and White storyline. That's not really here this week. There is a smidge of Dorn, uh, you know, a, a light memorable, memorable a smidge of Dorn. <laughs> A dusting of Dorn, uh, just a quick flash of Dorn in this episode. <laughs> a quick flash, yeah. Just a quick, a quick flash. Uh, but otherwise, I think for the most part, these are these are storylines that we're excited about. Um, you know, your mileage will vary on 
uh, the the High Sparrow storyline, but at least it involves a really great scene with the Queen of Thorns, and the final scene with Cersei is really, really excellent. Um, the Meereen stuff, I think, is probably the best it's been this season. Uh, I think that fight scene with uh, with Jorah Mormont at the uh, at the end in the in the fighting pit tryout uh, is is really cool um, and it's it's really no wonder that this is one of the stronger episodes of season seven for me as it is uh, it's written by Benioff and Weiss which is always a great thing uh, but it's directed by Miguel Sapochnik who is going to go on and be one of the um, the most celebrated filmmakers involved in Game of Thrones he's going to be the person who's behind the lens of Hard Home which is coming next which of course is a very exciting episode can't wait to get to that in the rewatch here next week um but also the guy who brought us the battle of the bastards as well as the season six finale which i think are two of the best episodes of the show uh so the gift is probably of the four that he has done i think it's actually it's easily the one that you you forget his association with the most but it's still a strong episode i think a lot of really good scenes in this episode and not to mention uh the first ever meeting between uh, Tyrion lannister and daenerys targaryen momentous you know really really exciting stuff uh and a, a, a kind of a strong bell was sighting uh which is exciting from the from the book reader's perspective but it's not quite strong bell was so it doesn't really count but a lot of stuff to be excited about in this episode i like this one all right so let's get into it uh we start up at the wall and uh Tormund is uh, brought out and they uh, kind of, uh, in a nice way, they let him free. They uh, take off his handcuffs, but right in front of Alistair Thorne. And he's really got the stink face about it. Rubbing it in, rubbing it in. A thorn in Thorne's side is this Jon Snow. Yeah, they're doing like kind of like the perp walk with Tormund, and then they let him free. Uh, and it's like they let him free in front of the, the cop who busted the guy. Uh, so, of course, Alistair Thorne is going to be pissed about this. He's not going to be happy about this at all. Uh, and... You know, we know where this is going. We know that Thorne is going to be conspiring against Jon Snow and he's going to make his move against Jon Snow only a few episodes from now. Uh, so we can kind of look at the way that Jon talks to other people who are under his command and you can kind of wonder, was there something else you could have done here? Uh, you know, Thorne speaks up. He says, Lord Commander, it's my duty to tell you I believe this mission uh, is reckless, it's foolhardy, and it's an insult to all of the brothers who died fighting the wildlings. And Jon's only response is, Okay, thanks. Eh. Appreciate it. Yeah. See ya. Yeah. You know, I I feel like that's that's uh Jon Snow's weakness here is there's only one way and it's his way and he is unwilling to really even entertain the uh the the people who are speaking out in dissent. Right. And knowing where this is going, uh that you really can see that people are not happy, especially also uh after John leaves, the way people are talking to Sam that there is, uh, you know, this mutiny coming in the ranks. John did not need to take the handcuffs off of Tormund right in front of Alistair Thorne. There he had didn't to need a, to do that. Yeah, there had to be a classier version of this. They could have, like, uh, got outside the, you know, castle walls and then done it. Done it at night is an option as well. Just out of sight of the cold light of day and all of the brothers who are watching are like, really this mm-hmm. is what you're doing this is this is how this is going to go i mean the battle at castle black in in terms of the real time of the show was two weeks ago you know like not a lot of time has passed mm-hmm. yeah very fresh these wounds uh fresh wounds so sam and john are going to have an emotional goodbye and uh they're not going to get back together until when like uh, the, the uh, close to no they i think that they're going to have they're going to have one final scene together in oh, the season hard finale. home 
yeah, uh, John's going to come back and Sam's going to be like, I have to get Gilly out of here. I have mm-hmm. to become a maester. Uh, and John's going to be like, all right, get out of here. Go, go, go. Uh, and that's going to prove to be a mistake because if Sam had stuck around, maybe he could have helped Jon Snow out a little bit. Uh, but that will be the last time that we have seen or them together. let Ghost out. Yeah, 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 exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, that that may have been a, a wiser move. Uh, but that'll be the last time that we see John and Sam in the same scene together, at least until whatever is coming in this final season. They'll correspond between, uh, you know, now and then. Uh, but this is we're, we're getting close. We're just not quite there. But this is still a tearful goodbye. And it's with the added benefit of a, of a care package to take north of the wall. Yes, Sam has some dragon glass that he uh, used to kill the uh, white walker hope you don't need it though yeah uh and john's gonna lose all of this dragon glass if i'm remembering right i think he's gonna i think he's gonna he's gonna waste the full shebang i think he's gonna he's gonna drop it and it's gonna get demolished in a fire and i think that he's gonna be dragon glassless for a little while okay uh sam is going to stay behind at castle black and he is taking little sam to go uh hang out with maester Eamon. And Maester Eamon loves the kids. Big fan of uh, of Baby Sam, egg, who, who reminds egg. him. Yes, yeah, he reminds him of his brother Egg, uh, the former king Aegon. And as Rob is saying in this this sad voice, <laughs> he does say the word Egg quite a bit, like the way uh, Abraham Simpson says death. <laughs> He has some advice for Gilly. He does. Leave. Get this baby south of here. Yeah. Get him out of here. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. The Maester Maester uh, man here, uh, Eamon, is trying like in his final in his final hours here is spouting out some wisdom. You know, it's a it's a little sad. It's it's very sad, actually, uh, knowing that uh, we are going to not only lose Maester Eamon here in this episode, but uh, the the actor Peter Vaughn has since passed away as well. So there's I think it's a really these are some really poignant final scenes for uh, an underutilized character throughout Game of Thrones run. But I think that they do him justice in this uh, this final stretch here in the gift. More on Maester Eamon uh, in, in a bit. Um, yeah. Well, do you uh, well, just very quickly? Uh, why is he? He calls her Gilly Gilly Flower. Yeah, you don't like is that. that her, is is that her full name? I mean, you wanted to be called the Gift. Should I be called the Gifty Flower? <laughs> yes. Cool. All right. Flower <laughs> is my last name. Reek is bringing breakfast to Sansa. Yeah, because Sansa's been locked away. He's locked away uh, in the room. Yeah, she's just she's on she's on house arrest and Ramsey has been showing up and doing his horrible Ramsey things to Sansa, which is horrible and terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh and Theon is being sent to her. Uh he is uh he is Sansa's caviar uh delivery person uh for the day. Yeah. And so Sansa is like, Reek, you have to help me. And he's like, I can't. Uh, she gets up from the bed and we see that uh, she is terribly bruised, uh, bruises all over her arm and says, Reek, you have to help me uh, help me get away from him. And Reek says, no, listen to him. Listen to him. She she says something like, how much worse can it get? He's like, oh, it can get so much worse. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> it gets worse. It gets a lot worse. Just do anything he wants you to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
I think, you know, it's fair to be very annoyed with Theon for everything that happens next. Uh, but I think we've also, uh, especially in such a condensed time frame for, for you and I, like watching week after week after week after week of Game of Thrones uh, and seeing reek after reek after reek getting destroyed by Ramsey, uh, the way that this man has just been beaten down, it, it all makes sense. I think it adds up the fact that he's not going to be able to pull it together to help Sansa here. Now, Sansa gives him a mission and says, all you have to do Take this candle up to the broken tower, put it in the window, and that's it. And then help will be on the way. And he's like, I can't, I can't. Um, and she gives him a pep talk. You're Theon Greyjoy, do it. And so he takes the candle, he goes up there, and he ends up finding Ramsey waiting. Yes, Reek? Yeah, I can't, I, I was confused by this. I think that the the, the show maybe doesn't do the best job on on clarifying this one did he actually go up to the top of the broken tower and ramsey is there and he already knows to expect theon and so that's why he's there or and this is the way that i that i had interpreted it and i think this makes more sense is like the the juxtaposition of the cut it's to make you think that theon is going up to the broken tower but instead he gets cold feet and goes and immediately narks out to to ramsey i think that makes more sense because how does ramsey know to go to the broken tower Hmm. So unless is that like, has he independently found out about the old woman with the candle and has flayed her? He never got the information from her because he he flayed her. He gave her a heart attack, the poor woman. So Um, I think that Ramsey somehow knew about the broken tower thing, unless he just happened to, you know, have an office up there, which is not the craziest thing ever. But why uh, does he have an office in the broken tower? Why does he do anything? I guess the broken tower may be his aesthetic. (laughs) And but I think he must have known that, you know, this was a thing that in the north, somebody tried to get in his good graces and said, hey, just so you know. Uh, you know, there's a thing like if there's a Stark and they need help, they're going to try to put a candle in this broken tower. And so then maybe he's like, okay, let me set up up there. And if anybody comes up here with a candle and then Reek comes up there with the candle. And then I think he sees Ramsey and then just completely panics and spills all the tea. Uh, yeah, I, I guess it doesn't ultimately really matter. No, but it's a good question. I think that the show, this is not the, the clearest cut uh, certainly, as it pertains to Theon Crager, I think the the clearest cut. We don't need to we don't need to relitigate that. <laughs> All right. Uh, meanwhile, Maester Aegon calling out to Egg, 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 and that's it. Um, Maester Aemon, uh, his watch is ended. Uh, eulogy for Maester Aemon. Uh, I love his final words. I dreamed that I was old. It's just so sweet. It's a very it's a very sweet and sad final scene. And one of the few characters that uh, Game of Thrones allows to just like die of natural causes. <laughs> like, you know, if you were to do the ranking again of like the of, of the deaths of Game of Thrones from like most peaceful to least peaceful, this has to go really, really high in the peaceful end. Mm hmm. Yeah. All things considered, I mean, yeah, he's very, very, very old and probably in a lot of physical pain, and he is in the the, the frozen butt crack of the world. Uh, but he's served a purpose, uh, and he is actually allowed to not get stabbed in the back and have his skull turned into a goblet of wine, as 
was the case with another prominent member of the Night's Watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Maester Eamon. I think that the show, uh, I think you could, you could, especially what we, with what we know for sure now about Jon Snow and his lineage and the fact that he is a Targaryen, you could, you know, kind of be like, why didn't the show give Jon Snow and Maester Eamon more of a final moment together? Why isn't he allowed to have eyes on the final moment of Maester Eamon, uh, considering that that would have been very poignant because he's secretly Targaryen and blah, blah, blah. And I think that that's one of the things that the show does well. Uh, the, you know, stories uh, have neat endings and, and tidy storytelling like that, but but life does not always have that. So I, I like that. I think that the way that they wrote him out was, was very solid here. Okay. We have a service for uh, Maester Eamon. Sam has some uh, nice words about him. How he had the blood of the dragon, but now his fire has gone out. His watch is ended. But uh, that Sam uh, gives a, a nice uh, send off to Maester Eamon. And then Alistair Thorne at the end of it, he doesn't even say great job. That was really good. He says, you're losing all your friends, Tali. And I wonder what that's all about. Is it, you know, because how if Sam has no friends heading into the funeral, how is it that Sam is the guy who is allowed to be uh, the person who's publicly eulogizing Maester Eamon at the ceremony? Or is his insistence on delivering the eulogy the reason why he no longer has any friends? Did he like alienate <laughs> his people off? His, yeah, his final few friends here at the funeral who were like really itching to, to you know, have their moment in the spotlight here. Thorne potentially may have even uh, been offended himself. No, I think that he was the person that spent the most time with Maester Eamon. Um, but I do think that it speaks to this theme of that there were a lot of safeguards in place from the moment that Sam showed up at Castle Black that that stopped people like Rast from giving him wedgies and, you know, doing all sorts of swirlies to him. And and now one by one, anybody who had sort of, uh, you know, vouched for Sam in the past is gone. Right. Not Ed. Right. No, Ed is Ed's at, uh, Ed's at hard home. I oh, went to hard so, home. Oh, OK, I think yeah, I, I guess think everybody's so. gone. I think so. I feel like he went to hard home. Maybe he didn't. Uh, we'll find out next week. Uh, but yeah, I, everyone's gone. Sam has no friends. It's very sad. Uh, and Alistair Thorne, very lucky that Sam uh, was not thinking clearly that day. Because uh, Sam, being the, the study bug that he is, should have been able to, to figure out that Thorne was plotting something something spooky for Jon Snow here with that line. You're losing all your friends, Tarly. Unnecessary. Keep that to yourself. It's a bad, bad, bad strategy, I feel like. So Sansa is out for a walk with Ramsey. I guess this is a day where uh, she gets some uh, time out in the yard. And, uh, you know, he's talking about uh, like, oh, my beautiful wife. And he's so happy that, you know, uh, she doesn't have a beard. He's all over the place uh, in terms of uh, how he. But that's kind of what Ramsey does, where he's nice one second and then he's crazy. And Sansa like picks up like a corkscrew, but she never does anything with it. No, but I liked that. Felt like a, a nice little callback to the the Joffrey walk from season one, shortly after mm-hmm. Ned's beheading. I, I just even just the way that the the shot is framed, I thought it, it really reminded me of that moment. Yeah, and Ramsey is talking about how Stannis he is stuck in the snow, and one day that he'll be the Lord of Winterfell, and Sansa will be his lady. And Sansa is, you know, probably doing a bad job here of poking the bear because she's like, but. Isn't your stepmother pregnant? Isn't she going to have a boy? And then won't he be the heir to Winterfell? 
Yeah, but I think that Sansa's all out of Starks to give on this one. I think that she's just like she's had it up to here with Ramsey. She thinks that maybe she stands a chance of getting out of here, that the you know, Theon's on candle duty and everything is gonna work out there. It's obviously not going to work out the way that she she thought. So why uh, piss so off th- Ramsey? Why not act well, like everything is good? Like, oh I can't I wait, my that. lord. I think it's a lot to ask of Sansa who has been to hell and back and only like, you know, realizing that it's just it's just so much worse here. Uh, like it's uh, in addition to all of the horrors that were incurred upon her in uh, in in King's Landing. Now the same level of abuse of like the of the Joffreyisms are being unleashed upon her and she's at home like and she has to see that her home has just been totally tortured and, and you know, brought down to the ground. I think it's just it's too much for her to bear. And I think that she's just like uh, gives no F's anymore. But Sansa, even though I don't think this was a great idea, she is uh, really fun in this moment where she's, uh, you know, she's turning that corkscrew uh, metaphorically where she uh, Ramsey is talking about how. But uh, I'm naturalized. Yeah, but that was by by a bastard. bastard. Yeah. You know, um, and. Uh, Ramsey is giving her the information about how uh, Jon Snow has become Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Seems like he's like trying to like, like, oh, you didn't know? Like, but isn't that good news? Yeah, it's like, oh, well, this is not news that I should naturally tell you. But for the sake of the forward momentum of the storyline, it's important for you to know that Jon Snow (laughs) is Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. So there's that. All right. Well, then we get back to uh, we come around a corner and like, oh, I forgot what I was going to show you. And we see the nice northern <laughs> lady. She was a tough old bird, but she's been flayed. Yeah, yeah. it's like one of those moments where it's like uh, oh, there was a reason there was a reason I called. I forgot why I called. Oh, yeah. Here is this enormous bombshell of a thing that I definitely knew the entire time was the reason that I called you. And it's going to be very earth shattering and, and traumatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and here it is. It's the old woman. It's the candle lady. Uh, and, uh, mercifully for Goodbye, us, we don't, candle see, lady. we don't, we don't have to see everything. But, <laughs> she was a tough old bird. Indeed. <laughs> That's what he says. Tough her old heart bird. gave out before Ramsey got to her face. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, Reek said Sansa wanted to leave. Is this true? Sansa. Uh, and she just kind of at that point, all of the you know the the sarcastic uh the the takedowns all of the all of that that dry wit mm-hmm. that Sansa has on display uh so that she's crying she's upset and i think that she's realizing just what she has gotten herself into that she's really she's in a situation that is that is that spot. is worse it's worse it's worse than than where she was like joffrey was horrible but at least he was he wasn't flaying people he wasn't flaying yeah. old human beings right and joffrey uh wasn't torturing her i mean he's torturing her like psychologically but like there was physical torture but not to this level as far as we can tell like there there's like that scene in the in the red keep where you know he's like he has like the crossbow pointed at her he's having people beat the shit out of her you know she hasn't had a good time basically her entire run but i would say that in king's landing her life was not in jeopardy, even though her own father was murdered there. I, I feel like that uh, she that her life was uh, more in jeopardy here. Uh, to a large degree, I think that this is a tomato tomato situation. Mm-hmm. I think that they're both horrible. Um, it is colder in Winterfell. 
So, you know, just the physical discomfort that comes with that, I think, uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, that's got to that's got to tip the skills in a certain direction. Ramsey's the worst. Ramsey's horrible. Ramsey's really terrible. At least Joffrey uh, was uh, was mostly entertaining as a character that you loved to hate. Ramsey, you do you do hate him. I don't know how much you love to hate Ramsey. Mm-hmm. He's no he's no Carl Tanner of Gin Alley. I'll tell you that. <laughs> All right, let's check in with uh, the Stannis camp. Uh, things have taken a turn for the worse. Uh, the men are sick. The men are coughing. Forty horses died overnight. And Stannis is uh, trying to figure out what to do next with Davos. Yeah, Stormcrows, peace out. Sellswords are gone. Uh, they're down another 500 people. It's it's not good. It's a it's a bad, bad look. And Stannis feels like he's uh, caught between a, a rock and a hard stone mm-hmm. uh, and a hard home. Even mm-hmm. uh, that either, you know, he he, you know, pushes on through the fight and is, you know, the odds keep getting worse and worse and worse. Or he turns around and he's the king who ran. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does not want to be the king who ran. That is a worse nickname than the gift. Yeah. <laughs> or even <laughs> the gifty flower. Yeah, the gifty flower is uh, even still probably the best nickname of them yeah. all. I like that Stannis has a line. He says, look, we either march forward to victory or we march to defeat. And I think that's Stannis in a nutshell. Yes, uh, but we go forward, only forward. Uh, yeah, got away with words, that Stannis Baratheon. Okay, so Stannis is going to talk with Melisandre and uh, get an update on this prophecy thing. And is like, uh, are you sure? Is this uh, is this right? She's like, oh, I've seen it. Come on. Uh, I, I know how this goes. Yeah, she's like, this. I've seen these. I've seen some very specific images uh, that definitely will come true at some point in the future. I've neglected to mention the fact that I have not seen you specifically. Yeah, I've in seen the myself walking around Winterfell and they took the flayed man banners down. So that must mean that the Boltons are defeated. So I mean, uh, one plus one equals two. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Note to all listeners who ever uh, pin their future ambitions upon the word of a prophet, uh, you know, of, of a sorceress who can who can pull, uh, who can birth magical assassins into existence and do cool things with fire. So clearly they're actual, actual uh, magical people. Just like ask them, like, so where do you see me? Mm-hmm. Like, where, where do you see me in this specifically? Like, what what am I doing? What do I look like? What am I wearing? Where am I hanging out? Who am I hanging out with? Like, what, what do I like beard? No beard. Like, what do I look like? And me and you, we should go see a psychic. We get all of the answers. I feel like we would be very thorough. Mm-hmm. Thorough. Very thorough. Nice and thorough. And so Melisandre is saying, well, you know, there's something else we could do. That Remember the whole thing with the king's blood? And Stan's like, well, you know, no king's blood here. Like, well, we do have somebody better, maybe. And Stan's like, nope. Yeah. She's throwing Shireen under the bus here, which is a bad look. Uh, and I, I more do like enjoy the eighteen wheeler after eighteen wheeler. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I like that. Say it's like, come on, it's we got daughter. It's like, what's wrong leeches? with you? Can we can we do the leech thing again? Uh, no, the leeches the leeches won't work. I don't understand why the leeches wouldn't work here when the leeches seemed to be quite and effective. Three kings went down with. on the leeches. Maybe they don't have leeches. Yeah, and the third king hasn't gone down yet. Yeah, so, 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 so. Uh, 
But anyway, uh, lay in track mm-hmm. for a very horrible event still to come. Okay. Um, how about uh, we go back to Castle Black and uh, we meet uh, two of the uh, lesser men of the Night's Watch. Uh, their names are Derek and Brand. Uh, two of the of the worst names in Game of Thrones, and not to not to like besmirch any Derricks out there. Very common name, but the way that it's spelled is the is, most uh, uh, George R R Martin way to spell Derek. Very annoying way to spell Derek. D E R R Y K <laughs> Derek. Yeah, and guess what? Uh. They find Gilly and they say, hey, uh, am I crazy or, or, you know, has it been such a long time since we've seen a woman? Uh, but uh, like, are, are you a catch, Gilly? Yeah, they're horrible. They're almost as horrible as Derek's spelling of his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're they're maybe even worse. Probably they're worse. They're they're trying to, you know, sexually assault Gilly here. And if not, not for Sam showing up, it, they, you know, they would have gone through with I mean, it probably. More so if and, not for Ghost showing up. Well, that's what ends up happening. Sam has like his, I took on a white walker. I killed a thin. I'll take my chances with you. And then Ghost shows up. They're like, okay, actually, we'll leave. This is scary. There's a dire wolf. Sam basically gives his best, hey, you, get your damn hands off her. (laughs) Chicken. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, Sam gets his ass beat down by these uh two guys they really go crazy uh sam rises uh to his feet before oh he uh, does rise indeed yes uh and then ultimately thank god the ghost uh nice of you to show up eventually yeah this is like the last really great thing that ghost does for a little while i feel like yeah. uh ghost ghost rolls in ghost freaks them out uh they run away Sam collapses yeah. in, into a heap. That was a lot of effort to to maintain some semblance of outward courage. Like the Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah. <laughs> As you wish. <laughs> All right. So uh, Gilly and Sam, uh, that Gilly is uh, very impressed uh, with Sam and his bravery and, uh, uh, you know, Sam says that uh, he would have gotten them eventually. They, they were getting tired beating him up. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then some other tiring acts occur. Yeah. Well, that there's a uh, important-ish exchange about, uh, you know, uh, Gilly says, look, if anything happens to me, take care of little Sam. Uh, Josh, yes. you have prophesied that maybe Gilly does not make it out of uh, the final season of Game of Thrones. And just to to restate that for anybody who who has not uh, heard that before in terms of my thinking on that, White Walkers, they're in Westeros by the end of season seven. Winterfell is the is the closest major pit stop between where they are uh, and uh, and and the rest of Westeros. It's the first real major road mark uh, along the way as they're marching against the armies of the living. And there's a bunch of people that we know and we love that are there. Sansa's there right now. Arya's there. Bran is there. Samuel's there. Gilly is there. If this final season of Game of Thrones with six episodes left, if they really want to, to show some teeth, much like Ghost does to Derek and Brand, uh, I really do feel like they got to take at least one 
major character off the off the playing field pretty fast here and i think of the of the people in winterfell gilly would be the person i'm the most worried about uh in terms of like their their overall utility to the story and the narrative i think it's someone that you could lose and be broken up over um so i'm nervous i'm nervous about gilly and i took note of this line as well of if something happens to me take care of little sam um the track is there in case they they choose to to go down the road of killing gilly i hope i'm wrong i don't want anything bad to happen to gilly i'm just i'm worried about it concerned okay so sam and gilly are going to have a uh, a wonderful sweet moment together they're gonna have a very good time yes and uh sam's uh, famous words uh, oh my uh, oh my <laughs> yeah like george to yeah <laughs> it's a great moment it's funny yeah. uh uh the kissing with like the bloody mouth is maybe a little weird to me look it's a romantic moment uh, the you know, emotions are high all right that part kind of just takes me out of it a little so we go to a slave auction jorah is up on the block uh was that a big brother ism <laughs> no that was i wasn't thinking like that no he's not on the shopping <laughs> block. i mean he's not nominated for eviction uh okay well he he may be uh up for eviction in a few scenes from now uh but he's able to to win the power of veto i don't know how it works i'm sorry i'm getting out of this now uh he's up for sale he's up for sale he's a he's a really cool guy he's a big fighter he's really awesome he's done amazing things in westeros yada 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 uh and uh he is he is bought for 20 gold honors is the is the currency Mm -hmm. yeah and Josh, does the show ever uh, really put a fine point on this? That here's Jorah. He was a slaver and then he was with Danny and then she freed the slaves. And now uh, the irony of all ironies, he now becomes a slave that I feel like that the show kind of like uh, doesn't really acknowledge this. Uh, unless it's coming in a, in a future episode, it hasn't really gone there here. Um, but I think that there is, you know, if, if you know the backstory, I think that you can read some of that onto this interaction between, uh, or not interaction, but just what's going on with Jorah where like he's, uh, he's at the lowest we've ever seen him. He's got grayscale. So there's literally like a ticking time bomb in his life of, you just never know when he's going to go slowly mad and just lose everything. He's already lost so much and in terms of his place with Daenerys, the woman that he loves. And now just like kind of adding insult to injury, like there is this reminder of this own practice of his from the past, this shameful thing that he did once upon a time. And now he finds himself in this ironic position of being a slave. They don't make too fine a point on it, but if you have that history in mind, I do think it makes the, makes this moment a little bit richer. Yeah. And so Jorah gets sold and now Tyrion says, hey, we're a package deal. Uh, I got to go along uh, with this guy, too. Hold on. I thought that they were selling Tyrion to the wiener merchant. I thought so as well. Uh, and however, like many like quarters this guy gave to Mr. Echo, I guess, is more than they would have gotten from the wiener merchant because they give him away really quickly. I mean, th- you would think a, uh, you know magical wiener would well especially that is good luck would go for a lot more value than Tyrion is just like a throw in as a warrior who's buying that yeah i know he kicked that one guy's ass but kind of sucker punched yeah. him 
You, you'd think that it would be more expensive than uh, than Jorah Mormont. Uh, like I, I would feel like uh, Magic Wiener would be a a higher buy than than uh, than Mister Bear. You would think so, but you'd think so, but maybe not. Maybe I mean we may be just misjudging the currency. Like maybe he like dropped like a hundred gold honors worth of uh, like three coins in, in uh, Mr. Echo's hand. Mm-hmm. Also, by the way, that's it for Mr. Echo. That's literally <laughs> that was, it was ne- a good run. No, it wasn't. It was a bad run. It was like, Oh, well it won't be an HBO show or a popular uh, iconic genre show until we get Mr. Echo for five seconds. So let's just bring in Mr. Echo. That's it. That's all you got. Yeah. Come on. Do better. Yeah. Do better. All right. Let's check in with Danny and Dario in bed. Whoa, a lot of uh, hanky-panky going on in this episode. Lots of gifts. (laughs) Yeah. And so Dario is, would you say, is he jealous of his star? I don't think that he likes the idea that he is going to become, uh, officially become a side piece at best. You know, I, I think that Dario is enjoying his current position as Danny's main squeeze, number one on the booty call sheet. Uh, and now now he's going to have to, like, do a lot more sneaking in the night in order to, to keep this up, if it's even going to be something he can keep up. Mm-hmm. And so the, Danny is talking about how uh, she is lamenting a lack of uh, choice in what she can do now. And uh, she's a little bit of a pity party. I kind of feel like Josh, uh, she's the only person who's not free in Marine. Yeah. You know, it doesn't bother me that much compared to the way that a lot of this stuff plays out in the book. And it is, uh, one of the major knocks against the most recently published book in a song of ice and fire, which is a dance of dragons, which contains a lot of Daenerys. Just woe is me moping around. Where is Dario? I miss and need Dario. And it's just, it's like chapter after chapter of that. Uh, here it's a lot more condensed, at least as far as I'm concerned. So really basically none of this bothered me. I've built up an immunity to, to this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so Dario has a plan. He says, Hey, the day of the big fight, how about this? Why don't you, uh, round up all the masters and then slaughter them? Yeah. Uh, and she says, I'm a queen, not a butcher. And Dario says, all rulers are either butchers or meat. <laughs> Yeah. You know, meat's one of my nicknames as well. It is M E A T or like Reek? No, M E A T. Uh it's uh it's my uh my bocce team nickname. I'm meat. Is that like an acronym? No, it means uh I'm I'm like I'm meat. That's like I'm that's that's my name. It doesn't stand for anything. I'm just like a hunk of meat. Mm-hmm. And then I do like this gesture in the air like I'm eating like a big turkey leg and I say I'm meat. Yeah. Okay. Do you um, think the gift is a better nickname? <laughs> I think that, yeah, the gift. I, I'd stick with the gift. I feel like it had something there. All right, I'll take it to the Bocce Club. I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. Yeah. Is this borne out, this idea that Dario says that all rulers are either butchers or meat? Could we go through all of the rulers of Game of Thrones to talk about if they're butchers or meat? There is almost no r- remaining ruler. <laughs> <laughs> well, like King Robert. Was he a butcher or meat? He ended up meat. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, Stannis, meat. Joffrey, meat. If you died, you were meat. You're. They're all meat now. Yeah. The Mad you King. Be, he was kind can, of a butcher. You, you can be a butcher and meat. Mm-hmm. I think it seems like no matter what, you become meat. Cersei. Eventually. Yeah. Butcher. Cersei. Cersei currently butcher on her way to becoming meat. Mm. 
Yeah. Uh, what are you going to do? Um, let's talk about Lady Elena. She Please. is still in town and she's going to come see the High Sparrow. One of the top High Sparrow scenes. I, can I be honest? I'm enjoying the High Sparrow more on the rewatch than I did on the first run through. How about yourself? Still the same? Yeah, uh, he's he's has some good moments. I think that the actor is good. The storyline is prices. Yeah, Jonathan Price is an incredible actor. Uh, and I think to see him matching wits with Diana Rigg, you know, these are two really legendary actors getting to do their thing. So pretty much like you could you could write garbledy gook and it's going to be it's going to be a good scene just because of the caliber of the performances. Um, I think that that's probably the right assessment is that the story is kind of whatever. I think that it it's playing better for me because we're going through it faster and you know where it's uh, where it's headed, and you know just how long you have to worry about it. It's not even two full seasons. It's like you know three episodes deep into five through the end of six. Like I, I feel like we can handle this, all things considered. We are a far cry away from Blue Raspberry Mouth with the High Sparrow storyline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I look, it's it's fine. I, I don't think that of the things that we complain about the most. I feel like that. Uh, I don't know if we were super psyched about the High Sparrow, but I don't think he's in like you know the worst of the worst. You know, he's tor- it's it's towards the bottom of the storylines of season five. But I think of like when you, when you think of the weaker threads of of season five, uh, I think that this one to me is bearing out to be much more tolerable than before. Again, I think largely on the caliber of the the various performances involved. Yeah, I mean it. It's frustrating because the Cersei part of this plan was so bad, was so ill-conceived that it like you, you kind of felt like that you knew where this was going from a mile away. Yeah, but I, I think it also all of this stuff and we're kind of leaping ahead to the end of the episode. Like this is all building the the groundwork for what she's going to end up doing ultimately. Uh, so for the payoff. It's a lot of setup, but the payoff is is very, very, very good. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Lady Elena and the High Sparrow, you know, they're having some, you know, good natured uh, jabbing back and forth. And she does this in, you know, every single scene that she's in, you know, all the way through. I don't think she has like a dud of a scene uh, the entire show, unless there's something I'm, I'm forgetting. She's so good in all of these one on ones. Pound for pound, is Lady Elena the best character in all of Game of Thrones in terms of uh, just like scene ratio? Like every every scene is at 100 percent hit rate. I would have to say that I think that I mean, when does she have a bad moment? It's hard to think of it. Hard to think of one. She's great. And so uh, she's going back and forth and um, Basically, she's saying, I-, I know your game. I-, I know what you're up to. And he says, no, no, no. I'm just an earnest guy. I like how he's like trying to do like the word play. And she's like, don't spar with me, little fellow. Yeah. So he's, he's not that small. <laughs> yeah. And so um, we see her walk away uh, after he basically tells her off and says, hey, look, uh, your day is over. Uh, you know, the many outnumber the few. We're not listening to you guys anymore. Yeah. Uh, peace out. We got this. And she's, you know, really she walks away empty handed for the first time in a long time, but not empty handed for long. Mm-hmm. And so she gets a scroll from Littlefinger. Littlefinger wants a meet up. Yeah. Littlefinger, Lady Elena scene incoming. Incoming. First, and got first, some questions there. All right. Some other stuff happening. Uh, Tommen and Cersei. And uh, Tommen is pissed. 
he's mad. Uh, you know, he's really throwing a temper tantrum here. He's like, I want to kill him. I want to kill them all. They got to release my wife. What are they doing? I'm the king. This is so disrespectful. And Cersei's just really trying to manipulate the situation as best as as best as she can. This is this is not your fault. It's not your fault. Uh, this is this is beyond your control. This is something that happens when you're a king. Yeah. And so uh, Cersei is trying to make Tommen feel better. He says, like, Tommen, don't worry. I, I'll, I'll take care of this. Don't worry. I'll, I'll make you feel better. I would do anything for my children. I would burn cities to the ground. Yeah. And as we talked about earlier here in, uh, in our season five run through, uh, yeah, and this is written by Benioff and Weiss. This is them building the groundwork for their Red Wedding. Uh, whether or not this is going to happen in the books, you know, it's certainly such a huge event that you can imagine that it could happen in the books as well. We just don't know. Um, you know, so for now, I think that you could safely give a, a, a healthy amount of credit to Benioff and Weiss for at least setting up at least a milestone that doesn't exist yet in George R. R. Martin's material as like their version of like the next really major thunderous surprise of game of thrones uh so this is really calling the shot on the big epic light of the seven sequence that we've already talked about in this episode of yeah. the podcast now what is cersei going to do is she just going to just try to is she just like a manipulation of tom in that she's just going yeah. to go i'm going to go through this dog and pony show yes and so i am going to then pretend to go let me go visit marjorie i'll see what i can do and then she's going to come back and be like again but hasn't she done this before yeah, but I think in, in this moment, uh, now that the, the stakes are so high with Marjorie being arrested, I think Cersei being like, I'm going to do everything that I possibly can. There's nothing I wouldn't do for you. And it's like it's doublespeak because in her mind, she does believe it. You know, she means it. She would do anything to keep you from harm. I would burn cities to the ground. I would do all of this. And what she doesn't say, what she leaves unspoken, but she is also uh, non-verbally saying in this moment is I would also lie straight to your face about something that would make you really really mad if you knew the truth because i think that this is what's best for you in her mind she thinks that shutting down the marjorie tyrell operation is the is the key to tommen's heart i think she authentically believes it uh but she is absolutely lying to his face and she's just listing out all of the horrible things that she would do and not listing out the fact that she would also deceive her own son so we go from cersei telling tom and how much she loves her children to cersei's other child and here is a uh, jamie and marcella it's a scene, a scene that exists. Yeah, there's there's like nothing to talk. There's about a good here, line. Really. There's a good line where uh, she, uh, she says to Jamie, "The last time I saw you, you had more hair," and and he's like, "And hands." Yeah, he did. <laughs> in hands. Uh, yeah, that's true. It's true. He had more hands, and that was it. Uh, and it's just kind of like a, you can't tell me what to do, Dad. Except I'm not supposed to tell you that you're my dad, and I haven't yet. Uh, that's really the the crux of the scene. She likes it here in Dorne. Doesn't want to leave Dorne. She's the only person who likes it in Dorne. Bron isn't complaining uh, too much about his lot in Dorne uh, at first because uh, here he is in the cell and he's singing his, you know, the, the song of the Dornishman's wife again. Really, he's really got stuck in his head right now. And the, the chops on this guy, right? I mean, honestly, the, the musical the ability of Bron, the pipes, the pipes. Mm -hmm. Right. He's really excellent. I'm telling you, the Brondoff. Yeah, <laughs> the Brondoff. Yeah, he's Stop he's doing great. Right there. Yeah. Okay. So here's Bronn with the sand snakes, and I think this might be the most infamous scene in the history of Game of Thrones. Uh, 
the most infamous scene in the history of Game of Thrones. No, I don't think so. I just, I, I don't know what I would say is the most infamous scene in, of Game of Thrones. Um, I, it would be on the list. It would be on the list for sure. I'd have to really sit down and think about that. It's definitely, it's definitely memorable for reasons that aren't great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, no disrespect. It's just, yeah, you but know, is, very is this, over the top. Uh, infamously bad enough it's really bad it's a it's a it's a it's i mean it, it is really kind of like the worst instincts of game of thrones it's you know the sexploitation uh to, to the max where it's just you know over over the top uh nudity and sexuality for really no reason other than to have it on the show put a character to like the brink of death and then walk it back really really fast it's just a completely pointless scene um yeah, it's just it's it's not great. Uh, she may be Tyene Sand, who is uh, forcing Bronn to admit that she is the most beautiful woman in the world. She may be the most beautiful woman in the world, but this is the worst scene of the episode as well. <laughs> this is the ugliest scene of the episode for sure. So, Josh, I don't understand what the Sand Snakes are doing here. Uh, so here is Tyene, and she seems to be a little bit concerned of what does Bronn think of her and she cut him with a sword that had uh that poison on it uh the long goodbye which i think is setting the groundwork for some of the other things we're going to see uh, with that poison uh, namely sure, with marcella and sure. uh, ultimately uh with uh one of these uh sand snakes as well and yes. so so braun has been cut with a sword and they really did a, a, a an okie doke on braun where they cut him with the with the dagger and then the poison got into his system and then okay Tyene Sand is now going to accelerate this process by let me get Bronze heart pumping a little bit and I will you know draw him into this trap and then uh, show him a little skin get that heart racing so the poison is going to be pulsing through his system quicker and then Bron will finally die but yeah then she flips him the antidote so I, I don't understand what the end game was here to have a scene that fills up time and has some uh, bare chested shenanigans as well, because if you, that's- if you want to kill Braun, like, OK, good. This was the plan. Kill Braun. OK. Oh, they're so deadly. Um, but then but why then give him the antidote? Because she likes Braun. I mean, she just say like, you're not so bad yourself, handsome or whatever it is. She says like, maybe, maybe this is like uh, the beginning of a dare I say it showmance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. It's a terrible scene. I don't think that there's much use in analyzing it because it's horrible <laughs> and it's stupid. It's, it's, and it's, it's, still, I don't understand. It's <laughs> there's not much to understand. It's dumb. Yeah. It's a Dorn scene. It's a scene that takes place in Dorn, so it's Dorn! probably bad. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, let's go to another thing that I don't understand. Okay. Okay. Great. Littlefinger meets with Olena. Okay, and this makes all the sense in the world. Okay, that these two are going to meet, and of course they were both in cahoots on killing Joffrey, and now uh, things have really taken a downward turn. And Elena is wondering, maybe did Littlefinger uh, pull an okie doke on her? <laughs> I think, yeah, that's the question. Like, what? The, what's the deal, man? What the heck, bro? We killed Joffrey together, and now you're imprisoning my peeps. What's the problem here? Uh, and uh, Littlefinger is like, I know. I uh, didn't really have much of a choice on this one. That being said, 
I can help you out with a cool thing. Mm-hmm. And so Littlefinger says, no, look, I have a gift for you, a handsome young man. And so I'm at first I'm like, well, what, what is he talking about? And then by the end of the episode, you know, we have the Lancel Lannister reveal um, with the High Sparrow. But we don't really ever see what is going on here. So did Littlefinger have something to do with the High Sparrow finally making a move on Cersei because he seemed to know everything about Lance Lannister. You don't think that the High Sparrow would have, you know, met with Littlefinger. So what is Littlefinger getting at here? So I, I, my brain is mush with this stuff. We go through it so quick that it, it's hard to, to remember everything with enormous clarity. So if there's a scene coming up, perhaps there's a scene coming up that helps clarify this a little bit more. But just from, from right now, what my guess would be in terms of the through line is Littlefinger tells Lady Elena, so Cersei used to have sex with her cousin Lancel. Uh, you may want to talk to the High Sparrow about that. Lady Elena goes and talks to the High Sparrow about that. The High Sparrow goes and talks to Lancel. Lannister's like, Lancel, did you have sex with Cersei? Was this a thing that you used to do? Because that would be incest and that would be a big crime. And Lancel would be like, it is a thing that I used to do. And this is sort of like the last piece of burden that I need to, to release. And uh, the High Sparrow being very forgiving towards people who, who demonstrate true contrition in his mind. Also, people who are loyal to him would be like, OK, don't worry, but we're going to we're going to take Cersei down. I think that that's probably how it plays, I think. Mm-hmm. It, it's just it's so confusing. Like, what did Littlefinger have to do with any of this? Like, if the High Sparrow wanted to do this, I mean, did did Littlefinger meet with the High Sparrow? I mean, after what happened to Littlefinger's brothel, uh, Littlefinger, you, you would think that Littlefinger would not be incentivized to make the High Sparrow more powerful. You'd think that he would not want. Uh, so it, it's very confusing. Yeah, it is confusing. It is. Uh, but, eh? Yeah. What are you going to do? Um, all right. So, hey, uh, fighting pits are happening. Fight scene. Yeah. yeah Jorah Mormont going to get his uh, his fight on here uh, as uh, they're all being told. Uh, guess what, guys? Great news. Your lives that you've been living for decades in the case of many, you, many of you are finally about to mean something today. Also, you'll probably die in five minutes. <laughs> Yeah, and it just happens to be the day that Danny is touring the minor league fighting pit stadium. <laughs> is this the AAA uh, yeah. fighting league? Yeah, yeah. And so that uh, they're the Mirian Cyclones and Jora spots Danny. So, okay, all right, put me out. Put me in. Yeah, I'm finally. I'm ready. I, I need to go ahead and go through the fighting pits because then I can get a one on one with Daenerys. Uh, also, respect to Jorah Mormont, who once he steps into the fighting pits and everyone is just like savagely murdering each other, as is the the want of the gladiator. Jorah shows up and he beats the tar out of these people, but it seems like it's mostly non-fatal. It's like John Connor had the talk with him and said, you can't kill people. So the Terminator shoots people in the kneecaps. This is like what he's doing here is he's just like kind of non-lethally terminating people in the fight. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Yeah. Um, so Jorah kicks a lot of ass. Yes, much ass. Yes. Um, Tyrion is trying to get free. Uh, Why is Tyrion trying so hard to get free? Does he too realize that Daenerys is out there? I think that may be what's going on. Is he trying to just escape? 
It could be a combination of the two, but I think also that Tyrion at this point feels like when he gets to Daenerys, he can at least make a pitch. He's, you know, he's going all the way across the world to to see this woman. So he's he's got to be thinking about what he's going to say whenever he meets her. Uh, so I think, you know, the way that Jorah finds out that Danny is there is through hearing them talking about your grace, oh, glorious queen or whatever. Tyrion also has ears. So I imagine that he has heard that Daenerys is out there as well. Uh, so I think Tyrion wants to to rush into it and and join the thing. Uh, this is when the the big man uh, cuts Tyrion free, and he is wielding a sword and has a physique that uh, reminds the book reader of a character named Strong Belwaz, who never made it onto the show, and uh, it's still one of your favorites. Greatly. One of my favorites. Love him from the book, and I I really wish he had made it to the show. Okay. Well, yes. Jorah makes it all the way to the end of the fighting pits. The, he wins the Royal Rumble. And so he gets to Daenerys and she's like, get him out of my sight. I don't want to see him ever again. Yeah, it's an instant. I hate this uh, guy. He's like a bad yeah. penny. Yeah, no deal. Yes. Um, get out of here. And he's like, I brought, that, uh, I brought you a gift. Yeah. And, it's, and Tyrion shows up. It's true. I am the gift. <laughs> yes. Yes. And this is Tyrion Lannister. Yeah. Yes. The young Tyrion shows up here. Nice to meet uh, you. Yes. Nice to meet you. I am the gift. I'm Tyrion Lannister. What do you mean nice to meet me? Like Josh Wiggler's bocce ball team? Yes. Yes. M-E-A-T. Yeah. It's a pleasure to meet you. That should be so. Oh, that's great. I should, I should incorporate that into... Like when I do, like when I bite like the air turkey leg, I should say, pleasure to meet you. I'm me. Mm -hmm. That's the move. That's how it's going to go. I like this. Yeah. This is very constructive. This podcast is uh, really bringing a lot into my extracurriculars. <laughs> really good. deconstructing it. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So we'll see more on Tyrion and Daenerys's first meeting, uh, I believe next week, right? That is correct. Uh, among the reasons why Hard Home is a great episode, an underrated reason, it is uh, not our first scene between Tyrion and Danny, but our first real interaction between the two. Mm -hmm. All right. So we then go to see Cersei, who's coming to visit Marjorie. Cersei is really extra horrible uh, to Marjorie in this scene. Yeah. She's brought her venison. Does Daryl Dixon catch her that venison? Uh, That's a, a real callback. It was delicious, you, though. <laughs> if you remember that. Uh, yeah, so she brought some deer, uh, and she's like, play, you know, really playing the nice card, covering all bases here. But this is like her being nice in the way that Marjorie was nice to her once upon a short while. Uh, and Marjorie having uh, unleashed that tactic upon Cersei earlier in the season, uh, she she uh, she smells the bullshit through the the rose covered uh, presentation, um, and just says, like, "Get out of here! Never be here again! Leave here!" Mm -hmm. Calls her a hateful b word. Yeah, what are you gonna do? And she even throws the venison at Cersei. A waste of food. Yes. So get out of here. And so I was like, oh, I hear a lot of people go crazy in these cells. Oh. Oh, it's going to be really bad for you. <laughs> it's like, I'll come back when you're feeling better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's great. Uh, Lena Headey is just so good. She's incredible. <laughs> yes. All right. So Cersei is going to then check in with the High Sparrow on her way out. And uh, just to ask about like, uh, so what's going to go on here? And it turns out there's a trial with uh, Seven Septon. Seven Septons is a tongue twister. Yeah, seven septons stepped into the sept. Yeah. Seven septons stepped into the sept. Seven septons. Sept, yeah, no, it's not doable. It's bad. 
And the High Sparrow goes on a little bit of a tangent talking about everything going on with, uh, you know, the, like, you know, the Carpenter's Cup type stuff. Yeah, but he's loving it. Mm-hmm. It's great. Like, this is what he's here for. He's just like, oh, I know something you don't know. And just really, uh, really milking the scene here, knowing that he is about to arrest Cersei and really wants her to like, I think you get the sense maybe he like he wants her to come to the truth first uh, like to sense that maybe something is wrong. So she'd be like, okay, yeah. So this is something that's been weighing heavily on me as well. And I've been feeling awful about it. If you talk, have you been talking to Lancel? Like maybe there's some move there, but instead Cersei's just like, shit, shit. Mm-hmm. No, 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 this is not good. Yeah, not good. And so he talks about how that, you know, stripping things away, what do you find underneath? And he tells the story of a young man who was, you know, had a lot of problems. He came in and they fixed him up. And uh, Cersei's like, I don't really see how this uh, is related to me. So I'm just going to leave. Yeah. Uh, Lancel shows up and like, that's the instant, like, I should not be here. I should get out of here. I'm in a dangerous situation. Uh, again, another reason why Lena Headey is so good is not just the scene between Cersei and Marjorie, but this scene as well, where uh, we see what's beneath the finery for, for Cersei Lannister as she recognizes very swiftly that uh, way too late that things have, have really slipped out of her control here. Uh, and just like the, the shift in the way that the performance is delivered is, is just amazing from cool and calm confident and on top of the world to underneath the world's boot heel. Mm-hmm. I don't know that the world wears shoes. Certainly the highest row does not, uh, but she is in a, a very bad spot here really quickly. And Hey, first appearance of Septa Unella. Septa Unella. <laughs> She's here. And so Cersei tries to leave. Septa Unella is blocking her and she said, move out of the way. Nope. Septa Unella will not. And then she grabs her. She said, let me go immediately. I am the queen. Yeah. Not good enough. Yes. Cersei is uh, taken away and she's put in a cell and she says to Septanella, my face will be the last thing you see before you die. And I mean, that hasn't really been confirmed, but it's probably true, right? Like you got to imagine that's probably the case. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. You know, I I don't think we'll ever see Septanella again. Last we saw her, Cersei had her completely under her thumb. Uh, It seems highly, highly likely that Cersei was like, Call me when you're about to kill her. I definitely want to be there. Yeah. All right. Getting a text from the zombie mountain. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's the gift. I thought of a very good episode. The Dorn stuff notwithstanding, I think that this is a, this is a really strong episode of the season. Strong episode from the season. Strong Belwas episode. Ah, oh, sad, yeah. sad, sad, no, sad. I sad, went sad. in. I thought this was kind of going to be a uh, another low point, but other than Braun and Dorn. Yeah, the, the truth is, I'm enjoying this season more than more than I remembered, and I and I actually think that like a lot of the things that were a slog to get through while the season was airing are easier for me now, knowing what the expiration date is on so much of this stuff. Uh, as as we talked about already, uh, I'm I'm enjoying season five a lot more than I expected to. All right, Josh Wiggler, next time, hard home, hard home. What's more to say? Great, great sequence. Coming up at the end uh, of this next episode of Game of Thrones, one of the all-timer sequences and one of the the truly great episodes of the show. Yeah. All right, so we're going to be back with you in one week's time to talk about Hard Home. Hard Home. Hard home. Oh, my God. I can't it's wait. It's all happening. All right. 
Uh, follow Josh Wiggler on Twitter. He is at Round Howard. I'm at Rob Sistrino. Thank you guys uh, so much for sticking with us uh, all the way to the end. We greatly appreciate it. And uh, we will be back uh, with more next time. Take care. Bye. Bye.